Yeah, we're all trying to solve the same problem, which is why I transitioned to the private sector, because after 18 years in government and, and working in the public sector, I found that there's one thing that, you know, it starts and ends almost with a lack of workforce development. Welcome to the MSS Network, your number one source of information for MSSPs, MSPs, and security architects. Exploring the evolution of the public sector MSSP. Today, we're delighted to welcome Tim Romer, President and General Manager, Public Sector at Thrive DX. Wonderful to have you on. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. Well, it's great to see you in this newer role. And uh, I know you have an illustrious history. We'll get on to, to, to that. Um, but, but we're talking public sector MSSPs. What's the problem that they might be trying to solve and we might be trying to solve on a podcast such as this? Yeah, we're all trying to solve the same problem, which is why I transitioned to the private sector, because after 18 years in government and, and working in the public sector, I found that there's one thing that, you know, it starts and ends almost with a lack of workforce development, a lack of human beings trained in cybersecurity to be able to help uh, the basic fundamentals, if you will. And I have a passion for this topic, and that is that the public sector and the private sector are both struggling with workforce and talent and training, okay? And after 18 years in government, I wanted to be part of the solution for once. Um, I loved working in the public sector and public service, and there's so many brave men and women working so hard, and they're underpaid, and they're understaffed and resourced. And it was an amazing experience. But after 18 years of doing that, I really wanted to change things up, and I want to start being part of the solutions. And at Thrive DX, what we're focused on is the human factor of cybersecurity, whether we're taking somebody from zero to hero joining the workforce, whether we're reskilling through a cyber academy and upskilling talent, which we always need to be. Look at AI right now. You know, everybody who's saying that AI is going to replace all these jobs is wrong. I love what's being said by real experts on this issue that I trust is you're not going to be replaced by AI. You're going to be replaced by people who know how to use AI. Mm -hmm. So at Thrive DX, we're also focused on getting AI training out there as soon as possible because it's really about adapting to the workforce. And we're always going to need to be able to continuously improve and continue to train. But that's the real issue is we're all struggling to find the talent. So in the public sector, you end up outsourcing a lot to manage security service providers because you don't have the talent and resources, but you need to be really careful and you need to do your due diligence on hiring the right MSSPs. Otherwise, you will do more harm than good. And I know we're going to go into this a lot here, but that's that's the real definition of the problem is a lack of cyber talent. Mm. And, and I guess, yeah, then then economies of scale and fractional talent and and things like that, we can we can sort of explore as well. But obviously, I'm tremendously pleased that you're on and I have seen you you know before. So I know your background. But where does your passion for this come from? Well, what, what, tell us tell us about your journey. Well, my journey started at age 20 when uh, it was 2003 and, you know, two years after 9-11, and I was in college. I was a starting a so my sophomore year at Arizona State University. And I went to a job fair. Candidly, I went to that job fair to get extra credit for one of my classes that one of our professors <laughs> said, if you go to the job fair at the student union today, you bring me back. This was when hard copies were still a thing, right? Like bring me back 
three brochures. Um, I'll give you a five points extra credit or whatever it was. And I was like, okay, fine. I end up seeing a CIA booth, no joke. I go to the CIA table. I end up starting to network with one of the recruiters who um, was from Arizona. I network with him. I end up getting a recommendation. The next thing I know, I'm like flying to Virginia in this nondescript government building at age 20, taking a polygraph. Uh, exam and a psychological analysis and a drug test. And I'm thinking, how did I get, how did I get here? <laughs> but I had a passion for like preventing another 9-11 and uh, 9-11 hit a lot of us hard. And I was just passionate about trying. And so I asked for that internship. I networked my way there and I found myself there and I ended up getting it and I never looked back. And I interned and trained there for nine months during college I converted to full-time staff. I worked out of headquarters for eight years. I worked out of the White House Situation Room where I was on a detail assignment from 2012 to 2014. So I staffed the White House Situation Room for those two years, and that completed my 10-year journey at CIA. After 10 years at CIA, I realized I could you know, spend the rest of my career in Virginia, which was great. Um, but I really wanted to move back home to Arizona where I could work on these issues, these national security, homeland security issues that I was passionate about in my own backyard where I was born and raised. So I took a leap of faith and I moved back to Arizona after my 10 years working for CIA. And I ended up as uh, in a role working for Governor Ducey and the Ducey administration and the governor were fantastic to me. They gave me a lot of responsibilities and opportunities that um, I'm grateful for. And one of those areas uh, that I worked on was cybersecurity. And I had just come out of this two-year assignment in the White House. And this was when DDoS attacks were really big. Um, DDoS attacks, you know, nation states going after, especially American financial institutions, shutting down their websites so that they can't, you know, uh, continue to do commerce and financial transactions. And so what I saw then was that cybersecurity was going to be the future of all security because you could be attacked by anyone anywhere in the world at any given time. So now I find myself after a 10-year national security uh, career, I find myself back in Arizona working for the governor. And long story short, I ended up running cybersecurity for the state of Arizona when our CISO left to go to work for federal DHS at CISA. And I took over cybersecurity and um, ended up being appointed by the governor to run the Department of Homeland Security. Um, and I was the only person in the country to wear both titles where I had to wear both hats. I was the chief information security officer of the state, and I was the director of homeland security in the state. And I can tell you right now, the point there needs to be understood more around the country and around the world, which is cybersecurity is homeland security. That's what we said in Arizona, because it affects everything that was our mission in homeland security. It affects our public safety. But now working for a global company, what we really need to focus on is cybersecurity is national security. And the basic fundamentals of cybersecurity need to be taken more seriously around the world to be able to protect against this evolving threat and against these rising cyber attacks. So my background was in national security. I got exposed to cybersecurity and made a little bit of a shift from counterterrorism to cybersecurity. And then when I got to lead it for a state, I really got to hunker down on what are the true problems facing the public sector. And you know, at the end of the day, whether it's physical security or whether it's cybersecurity, the federal government is not going to save states. It's not going to save a city. It's not going to save a county. It's not going to save a school district. Those public sector entities are responsible for themselves and they need to start investing in it. So whether it's cybersecurity talent, 
cybersecurity resources, whatever it is, you can't go on thinking that you're either too small, that somebody doesn't care about you, because believe me, they do. Hackers want to look for vulnerabilities. They want to hit the weak link, so to speak. Uh, we always talk about raising that cost of the hacker. Well, guess what? Hackers are constantly scanning for vulnerabilities. The smallest jurisdictions in the public sector around the country are sometimes the easiest targets. That's where they go after first. And so my journey led me to this point now in the private sector where I want to do more to help all the little guys all the way through the big guys uh, in cybersecurity. And uh, that's where my passion really is. And that's why I wanted to work for what I consider a human factor cybersecurity company. I love it. And 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 that combination of physical and cyber, I mean, I, I, talk, I, I talk a lot about it. I have a lot of, uh, you know, panels on, on, on the subject. Um, and we can explore, you know, the, the future security professional and, and things like that. But what about the uninitiated professional out there who who sort of goes, well, yeah, great that you are helping the small to the little to the ginormous uh, enterprise. But surely cyber is cyber is cyber, whether it's public sector, private sector, medical, legal, uh, it's all cyber. Um, what, 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 what should they better understand? Well, like I said, that everybody is a target is kind of the first thing, because in my experience, the companies that got hit that reached out to us for help, believe it or not, even from the private sector or the little jurisdictions, they always say, why me? It's like the first thing and what everybody needs to understand is because everybody's a target. There's value, whether it's in data that can be sold in the black market, PII, intellectual property, research data from an academic institution, you name it. So I think just getting everybody to understand that part of it, but also that, and I can't reiterate this enough, that most cybersecurity incidents are not highly sophisticated cyber attacks. Over 90% of all cyber incidents are succeeding because of a human error. Whether you look at the IBM Ponymon study, the Verizon annual cybersecurity data breach report, anything else, all industry leaders, it's well over 90% of all cyber incidents are human error caused. Now, that can be a couple of different things. And this is what people need to understand. It can be as simple as somebody clicking on a phishing link. This is why cybersecurity awareness training and phishing training are so important. It can be uh, poor account security. Somebody who has a poor weak password, doesn't have multi-factor authentication turned on. Those are human error things. Those are easy things to fix. And then lastly, the human error where we don't have a workforce and a trained professional capacity to be able to recruit and retain cyber talent and protect ourselves. That means the basics of like, do you have cybersecurity employees? Are you scanning for vulnerabilities and patching? Okay, that's a, that's a very basic thing. Scan for some vulnerabilities or Microsoft sends out um, a patch Tuesday that says, hey, there's a problem in Microsoft Exchange service, one of our old versions. You better get rid of it. You better patch it. You better update it, upgrade it, whatever it is. And people don't pay attention because they don't have a cybersecurity staff even working for them or that's capable of doing it. And that's what people need to understand is that those are the basics. You don't need to spend necessarily millions of dollars. Your return on investment is much smaller. And the return on investment that you're going to get better than anything is training. And especially, you know, on that human factor side of things. And so I, I just wish more people out there realized, regardless of the size, everybody has to take care of the fundamentals. It's like, you know, in football, it's blocking and tackling. 
It's, it's, it's the basics. You don't need to get super fancy. Just, just take care of the basics and the fundamentals. And uh, most hackers will move along to an easier target. They, they, they will, but, and this is the sort of the appeal of in, you know, talking to you about the public sector MSSP. Um, there's a certain appeal to an attacker uh, perhaps uh, to, to to go after government, uh, to go after local government, um, utilities, things like that. So, what 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 should you say to to people out there? That say, well, I I will hire the one MSSP, no matter what sector I'm in. What what would you say to them about the importance of some sort of public sector focus, public sector expertise? Um, and and actually, I'd be interested to put my finger on what that expertise is. Yeah, I mean, the phrase measure twice, cut once type of a thing is a good phrase here. You should be doing your due diligence and measuring out, looking at capabilities of all the vendors competing, especially in the public sector. You should be running a really good RFP process. And that RFP process should have a group of cybersecurity and IT leaders and even agency directors on it from whatever public sector organization you represent. Decisions should not be made in a silo. They shouldn't be given to one company because you got a business card from them at an event and it was easy and you didn't feel like running a, you know, an RFP through procurement or something. So you figured out a way to source it, any different things like that. Like in the public sector, do your due diligence, find somebody who truly has the capabilities to represent you and to protect you because, you know, there's this phrase of like doing something is better than nothing. And like, to a certain extent, yes, but you're going to make your life a lot more difficult if you hire the wrong MSSP. Keep this in mind. MSSPs are a huge target of attackers because they'll go after MSSPs to get to you know, government agencies that an MSSP is protecting. And if the MSSP isn't a strong enough organization, if they're not you know, um, really a, a capable company, you'll get compromised through the third party, which is a huge threat in cybersecurity right now. You'll get compromised through your MSSP. And then now you're going to feel horrible because you ended up getting compromised from the company that you paid money mm. to protect you from. So I would just say that, you know, there's a lot of MSSPs out there. Do your due diligence. Um, it, it, you know, most public sector organizations don't have the staff right now. So I'm, I'm all for hiring somebody to help you in the short term, but you just got to do your due diligence and make sure that you're finding the right person. And then long-term, we as an industry have to start investing resources into training and we need to change the way we do things in order to make a dent in the roughly 750,000 cybersecurity vacancies around the country. And the, and the short answer is, if we keep going about this, doing it the same way that we want people with four-year college degrees, we're never going to make a difference. We need people with certifications. We need people that can join the cybersecurity industry today. So do we need them to go take electives in, in college right now and get a four-year degree? Honestly, no, we don't. The cybersecurity needs people that are capable, some real world internships and apprenticeships, some certifications, some basic training, put them through cybersecurity boot camps, get them certified, get them a real world experience and join the workforce. And uh, they'll be doing that in, you know, nine, 10 months. And that's the long-term solution. <laughs> and, 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 and I sort of, 
I, I recognize that in that, you know, to fill these vacancies. Now, many of the vacancies, uh, some people have said, oh, the, many of them are, are just marketing roles. They're not technical roles. Um, but let's say a vast majority of them are technical roles and we need to fill them and automation won't fill them. Right. Because that's another usual retort. Ah, AI will solve it. Um, I, I wonder, do you think that the entire industry just doesn't lend itself to I don't know the degree method because you know, let's take insurance insurance in the UK you shouldn't have a degree in insurance it shouldn't it, it, you need your professional qualifications and ideally if you did do a degree you did something like law business history german i don't know what but but you need that general experience um and and and, and on the job training and coaching much more than you need a solid regimen of uh, four year and that's it yeah, 100%. One of the things I'm most proud of is that I inherited an internship program that had one intern. And I'm not trying to mock it. It's just that that's what they were allowed to do. And interns in the public sector are great because you can get an intern that's currently like getting their cybersecurity certification or degree. You can get them for like $15 an hour. And, and that's a steal because public sector has a really hard time, you know, retaining talent and recruiting talent because we can't pay as well as the private sector. So an internship program is great because who you can afford to get, but it's great for the entire life cycle of workforce development and the talent pipeline, because it allows people to get real world experience, what they really need on the job training, eyes on glass, hands on key. Like we had our interns doing like some SOC analysis for us, working on some, let's make sure, you know, the basics um, flag the most important things for an experienced SOC manager, but the basics, we're going to teach you how to move on and save time of our critical employees. That's what's really key as we move, move forward is finding more internships and apprenticeships for people. Because what most companies will tell you, they're frustrated when they hire somebody who on paper says they can do something and then they go into the role and then they need six months of on-the-job training. It defeats the whole purpose. They need somebody who's ready now. The only way you get that is when you mirror your certification with your real world applicable skills. That's what's going to make the biggest difference. So so do you think then if we are to champion public sector expertise in the world of the MSSP, that there's an added dimension, we need them to have at one stage worked in the public sector, or can that be garnet gathered sort of working next to a public sector uh entity i, I just wonder how we do it yeah it's it, it, the way to do it is so like i inherited the one intern in my intern program right and we expanded it to five so like i can use a great talking point that i increased my number of interns by five times okay well it's one to five but still great great talking point that's what we need to do across the board, though. If everybody increased their internship program five times, imagine what we would be able to do. Now, the public sector can lead on this because, again, because of their lack of or challenge of being able to recruit and retain cyber talent, they want to bring people and they'll give them more responsibility. You get the on the job training. You're going to be certified, you know, through private sector, you're going to do that, your, your degree, whatever you're, wherever you're getting it, whatever boot camp you're doing, whatever college degree you're doing. Okay. Once you start working full-time in the public sector, you're going to have a lot higher level of responsibility and you're going to gain a lot more experience. I, I've heard people say, 
you know, working in the public sector, um, you know, is like twice the amount of experience because of what you're being exposed to. So then that fuels this talent pipeline and overall workforce development around the country, because then a, then a private sector company, and they do, will recruit my employees from the Arizona Department of Homeland Security Cyber Command. So like they'll, you know, Wells Fargo will come in and say, hey, this person's looks like they have a great resume. They've been working for the cyber command team of the Arizona Department of Homeland Security for two years. Look at this. Oh, I want that person. And then they're going to pay them a lot more. Okay. Well, bummer. The state of Arizona just lost one of our employees to the private sector. But if we're the bench, if we're the farm system, you know, minor league baseball for major league baseball type of a thing, and then we bring in a new intern and then the last intern gets bumped up into that position, the public sector can truly lead in getting the real world experience and then when the pi private sector takes them, steals them, whatever it is, it doesn't matter because we've got this cycle. We've got this bench for the next person to step up. If you're able to do that across the country, you could make a dent in the actual number of cyber vacancies and everybody can get what they want. Public sector gets the internships and younger employees that they can afford. Then the private sector gets the experienced employees that they're going to be able to pay for. And that's a good thing because at the end of the day, what we need is we need more people working for what I say. I want the good guys versus the bad guys, right? Whether you go to work for, you know, um, the FBI uh, with your cybersecurity degree or you go to work uh, for, you know, Honeywell, it doesn't matter. Um, all that matters is that you're defending the networks for the good guys against the bad guys because I've always thought this. An attack on one you know, company or one public sector organization is an attack on all of us. And when we defend ourselves, again, third parties, right? So if you go to work for a technology company like a, like a SolarWinds, well, guess what? Better protect the company like SolarWinds so that 300,000 other organizations aren't impacted by one breach to SolarWinds. And that's why I truly think that you start with a cybersecurity training program. We get more people into it. And then if they start in the public sector and transition to the private sector, that's a very good pathway. Yeah, and that, and that pathway would kind of solve a lot of uh, challenges because then if you become a fractional CISO or a fractional architect, th then you can help a lot of people as and when. So so there'll be no downtime. Not that not that engineers are underemployed, right? They're not underemployed, but but you know if they were to emerge any downtime, it could really help. But from a public sector. Uh, perspective let's imagine local government or you know regional government um because of how important some of the things you're going to deal with are does that mean that it's really only the larger mssps that you want to deal with i mean is is, is size important in that respect it's not necessarily the size it's more of the capabilities um, but when you bring up, when you say the term regions and regional, that's where the solutions are at is because, look, school districts are a huge target nationwide right now. That's just that's just a fact. And one of the ways that the public sector needs to do a better job of this, we started doing this in Arizona where we did a $10 million grant program, which we're very proud of. It makes a significant impact. That grant program isn't even a grant program because it's free of charge. I mean, there is no matching like the federal grants. Um, it is really a statewide cyber security program. We're able to give licenses to local municipalities and school districts for the same cybersecurity tools that our team is utilizing protecting the state of Arizona. 
So think about it like this. We had already done all the research. We had already done all the RFPs. We had already put together all the councils and committees and task forces. And we had chosen, you know, one web application firewall company. And then that way, when a school district needs a web application firewall company, you need a WAF to protect your school district websites. Guess what? Apply to our program. We will give you the license and you'll be protected tomorrow. And then your website won't be defaced or taken down or different things. And we do that for a wide variety of cybersecurity tools, including advanced endpoint protection, vulnerability management, remote patching, cybersecurity awareness training, you name it. We were doing all this. Okay. So that's a great start, but states like Texas are thinking really creatively and they're putting together regional security operations centers. So like put one in San Antonio and then anybody in the San Antonio area that's public sector that wants to, you know, sign an MOU, NDA type of a thing and buy into this, you're going to be better protected because you're pulling resources together within a region that by themselves, you couldn't afford or do. But when you come together, people talk about teamwork. This is truly teamwork. This is bringing people together and saying, we're going to work with you know some private sector vendors. We're going to work with um, a university in the area so that their students can be part of this in research and training. But we're going to do it in an organized fashion where the teams come together, you pull the resources together, and you're better protected because of it on a regional basis. I think that's probably one of the best solutions that I see coming. And it's not its not saying that it doesn't need the help of the private sector. It does. We're going to need some leadership, and we're going to need some talent, and we're going to need the tools to be able to do it. But it's truly a win-win because now you're getting that you know, hands-on training as well. Let's say whether it's for cybersecurity students or uh, anybody at the beginning of their career uh, or experienced professionals, um, you name it. But I, I think regional approaches to cybersecurity for the public sector would be a phenomenal step in the right direction. I think Texas is doing a good job of it. Yeah, and and then you could have maybe a, a regional MSS uh, player helping yes. out. Yes, in you're exactly right. Yes. Um, I would love to see companies tailor their capabilities towards that. Um, and, and more of the, more of the, we're a uh, collaborator, like mm. we're going to bring in and we can manage all these different types of jurisdictions in one area, rather than telling you they're just going to be able to solve all your problems, you know, off somewhere, which sometimes I'm a little skeptical of. And, and and it could be a, a helpful collaboration. Maybe in that RFP, uh, a government agency says, well, there must be something for the local community, uh, a, 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 a range or help our range. Yeah. I know um, some of the Arizona ranges have kindly helped help me out, you know, so yeah. uh, may, may, maybe that could be written in. You're absolutely right. Bringing up cyber ranges because we have to be able to train. That's a huge part of the training and the skill sets and not everybody has that capability. So pull those resources, share it and collaborate and we'll all be stronger because of it. I completely agree. So so do you think that we will see the emergence either of super MSSPs who love to say, uh, you know, we said offline, <laughs> how deep is your bench? My, deep, my bench is really deep. Um, 
or will we break down all those silos? Because you know, in in business speak, there's some really awkward phrases like "I'm going to break down silos," and like <laughs> if there were no silos in an organization, it'd be a very weird organization. So similarly, do you think we're going to see the reemergence of "I'm a healthcare MSSP," "I'm a legal MSSP," and "I'm a public sector MSSP"? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it, it. one thing is helpful is that if you're proven in one industry to focus on one industry, I think that is helpful. I just, you know, when people say that they've got a deep bench, I just, um, I call their bluff. I, I don't know if anybody has a deep bench in cybersecurity right now. I, until we start doing a better job of the things we talked about earlier in this conversation, we're not going to make a, a big enough difference. So how do you better protect yourself today? Yeah, you've got to pool your resources together. Going by industry, you know, like a healthcare sector, I think I think is a a very good uh, start. But you know, it's um, it's one of those areas where we're just going to have to continue to evolve, and we're going to have to use AI better. Uh, AI is not going to solve all our problems. Learning how to use AI will help solve some more problems. Is more automation needed? Absolutely it is. It's a huge force multiplier and the MSSPs are going to play a role in that. We just need them to be good partners. And I think the way you do that is focusing on, you know, regional, I think is is a good thing. Um, it builds trust and collaboration in a community. Um, but I, I love... I still love the idea of like a super sock because you could take that regional ability and help better protect, you know, say public sector there, and then eventually maybe private sector companies as well. But the only way you're going to do it is when you get people to start sharing information. Mm -hmm. The biggest barrier to doing this right now is nobody wants to share. They are very, and I saw this at the state level, look on threat sharing, these ISACs, you know, an information sharing and analysis center, great work that ISACs do, but you're only as good as the information you're plugging in to the ISAC. So if nobody's sharing their indicators of compromise, like we got this really good spear phishing uh, email with this malware, it was from this email address and it used this IP address. Okay, great. If you get that, you plug it in, I'll bet the city of Phoenix got the same one that Maricopa County got, and I'll bet the state of Arizona got the same one. So let's better protect all of ourselves. Let's share the indicators of compromise. Let's block it over all of our networks. This is the way that like an ISAC or a super SOC could do a much better job. But until people start sharing the information more, it's it's kind of like a lost cause, if you will. So we need to build trust and collaboration. We need people to feel part of it, then we can build, you know, from there. But the foundation of this is that, I mean, too many times people will say my insurance company or my lawyers won't let me share something during a cyber incident. I've talked with a lot of insurance companies and I've talked with a lot of lawyers and a lot of them point back to the cybersecurity teams. And they're like, no, we never told them that. And I think what's happening, there's a lot of cybersecurity professionals that use that as an excuse when in reality, they could be sharing more. But people think, oh, I don't want to air my dirty laundry. I don't want to get in trouble. Guess what? We're all faced with the exact same challenges right now. We're better off if we share. And so it's how you respond to a cyber incident these days that's going to make the biggest difference, not the fact that you got hit. Because everybody's 
getting hit these days, but the people that survive are the ones that do a, be- a good job responding. And the only way you do a good job responding is that quick. Yeah. And, 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 and that's key, isn't it? Because you, you can get quite blase these days looking at the popular press and saying, ah, this one got hit, this one got hit, this one got hit. But it is really, you know, there, you mentioned a brand name of a SaaS product before, right? That brand name is still here. Um, Like maybe back in the day, if uh, someone got hit, it would have been that they got hit that would have ended them. But but maybe now, as you say, it's how they they respond. And there are there are very high profile cases of people mm-hmm. that got attacked. And you'd be like, well, that that should that should be it. Yet they are still here and they are still working with partners. And and I think partnerships is maybe where the uh, public sector minded MSSPs should should differ. Um, I, I, I guess. Maybe if I may, because it's great to to sort of cap to after you've moved into the uh, private sector, um, you're an example of said expertise that perhaps this MSSP that focuses on the public sector is looking for. How has your uh, move uh, been and what what are some of the things to compare and contrast that uh, people might like to know about? It's been a really good transition and I'm enjoying it. And I really feel that I can make a big difference in the industry by working for a great company like ThriveDX, which is a global leader in cybersecurity training. And I think if we do our part of um, training the next generation of cyber warriors, I like to say, and I really believe this, I think we're in the middle of a cyber war and we lack the warriors. Um, and we, we've we got to do a better job of, of training them up. Um I think one of the biggest things is thinking creatively now that I'm in this role of how do, how do we pay for it? You know, that, that's the that's the million dollar question, so to speak. I think we need to put more money towards workforce development in cyber instead of just the federal government saying, here's a couple million dollars, go buy some cybersecurity tools to protect yourself. Well, guess what? The money runs out really fast. And then you're left with a local government, a public sector that can't afford to keep up the cybersecurity tools. They can't, you know, keep paying for that software as a service. Or if you do matching, a lot of them don't even apply for a grant program because they can't afford the match. So I think the funding models and where we need to go with this is, is pay for training in the workforce because they're always going to be there to take the jobs and better protect us and find solutions. But if we're just paying for a service, when the money dries up, you've got nothing. And so I'd rather be left with a talented workforce because with that, we can really make a difference. And that, that's one of the first things I've realized is, is you know, the, the funding side of this is who's paying for it. But I think we need to do a better job of uh, revolutionizing uh, our, you know, hiring process. And a lot of people still are looking for these four-year degrees. And it's just, it's we're still going to end up with 750,000 vacancies if we keep doing the old way of doing things. We And we also have to diversify cybersecurity. I think it's one of the things... I love working about Thrive with Thrive DX is that when I became a CISO, I mean, I found out day one going into the office and seeing my team that we lack diversity in cybersecurity across the board. And this is a worldwide problem. So when you think of we've got all these cybersecurity vacancies and the industry lacks diversity, the solution is right in there, which is do a better job of going out and training the next generation of cyber warriors go to under-resourced communities, go to people that can't afford a four-year college degree, but they could afford, 
you know, a cybersecurity boot camp. There are good logical solutions to this, um, but we need to start thinking like that. Yeah, and 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 not that this is the topic. There are some stipulations with some public sector organizations in their RFPs that you meet certain requirements for certain purposes, which is alluding to the diversity um, that, that, that is lacking that you sort of. Yeah, look, about. a lack of diversity. I learned this one when I worked at CIA. If you recruit all the same people from the same universities, let's say we go after a whole bunch of people out of the Ivy League schools. Well, guess what? That's like one way of thinking. We need a lot of different diverse ways of thoughts and backgrounds to really solve complex problems. Mm. Cybersecurity is one of the most complex problems, you know, facing our world. And the only way we're truly going to make a difference solving that is to have a diversified workforce that doesn't think about doing this the same way from the same cybersecurity training for the same program. We need to have a workforce full of people with different ways of thought and backgrounds and experiences and to think creatively and innovatively that's going to make the biggest difference. Um, so inclusion and all those great opportunities, they're great. But if you're really, truly trying to solve the problem, look no further than the fact that a diversified field and talented group of individuals will be better off solving any problem than one that, you know, is just made up of all the same types of individuals. So it's, it's truly a win-win. Yeah, and they could 100% sit in an MSSP where their fractional knowledge of, I don't know, container security might not be needed every day. But yeah, it, like, that, that's yeah. where you have it. There's a lot of individuals in cybersecurity that taught themselves cybersecurity who, who have a totally different way of going about solving cybersecurity problems than the person who went through the really good cybersecurity degree at a university. It's just, it's just the nature. The person who taught it themselves is going to be a little bit more hands-on. When you combine these different ways and backgrounds of thinking, that's when you really make the biggest difference in protecting yourselves and making the biggest strides forward. Fantastic. Well, Tim, it, it's been it's been wonderful uh, catching up with you and you know capturing that moment as you are settling into the private sector to talk about the value of public sector expertise um, in an MSSP or, or, or any third party, really. Um, I'm uh, very much looking forward to welcoming you in person uh, to our seventh annual convergence forum in Phoenix in August. Um, but uh, but yes, this is this has been fantastic. Where where, where can people find you next? What are uh, what are you next working on? Well, I mean, all the topics we just discussed. I'm going to start doing more public speaking around the country on this topic because I think we've got to get the word out. And I know that I'm working for a company right now that can make a big difference uh, in this space. We're the proven leader. We've been doing this for over 15 years globally. And that's probably where you're going to find me. Hopefully more podcasts like yours. So thank you for having me on. More speeches, whether it's in person or virtual, and kind of spreading the word on where we need to focus to make the biggest difference. And I'll be continuing to look for partners. This is the biggest thing at Thrive DX. We know that cybersecurity isn't going to be solved by one person, one company, one organization. It's going to be solved by all of us coming together. In order to do so, we want to partner with as many cybersecurity or private sector, public sector companies that are out there. Let's truly, you know, we talk about breaking down silos and coming together. That's that's what needs to happen. So anybody who wants to partner or collaborate, um, we're, we're all ears. 
Fantastic. Well, uh, Tim, thanks for coming on. This has been another fantastic edition of the MSS Network podcast. For more MSS content, please visit mssnetwork.com.